Because I can control the weather, they call me Storm. Welcome to This Week in Nerd News, your one-stop shop for all of the pop culture you may have missed this week. Brought to you by the Black Nerd Problems Broadcasting Network. I'm your host, Victoria Vertine. I'm your host, Mikkel Snyder. Time is fake. <laughs> Time is kind of fake right now. We're, we're in the middle of October. We've been doing this for like a year now. <laughs> it's yeah. wild. Just wild. It's a lot. <laughs> so, what have you got to start us off in our? We sh- we should actually figure out when our anniversary is slash was <laughs> will be. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, it's it's that and the one hundredth episode that we should be keeping a track of. So we're definitely we're definitely near the one year because we're like episode forty nine gotcha. or something. So like we're getting there. So. We'll, we'll do some investigative research into those two More things. More to come. Um, expect the twin special <laughs> coming soon to a podcast near you. And the thing that I, I, I want to start out with is not something I necessarily want to talk about, but several conversations have happened in my circles about its general existence, and there have been a lot of interesting things about it that I think it's it's worth sharing, <laughs> even if I don't want to necessarily acknowledge it. After months of teasing and promo images, we finally got, like, a trailer for Paul W.S. Anderson's Monster Hunter starring Mila Djokovic and Tony Jaa from Sony Pictures Entertainment. And the film, slated for the ever-ambiguous December 2020 release, uh, is based on the beloved game and franchise where you play a monster hunter. That That's it. That's the entirety of the pitch here. You have a wide range of armaments, ranging from great axes to dual swords to bows to unconventional weaponry. And my personal favorite out of the list is the musical hunting horn, where you swing an oversized, like, viking horn and then you play music out of it um basic idea though is that you're hunting monsters to get supplies so you can continue living your best life with your friends and your palico companions which are these little humanoid cat things who cook and do other service errands around the area um this is an aggressively popular franchise lots of units sold over over its history Lots of energy and hype surrounding the latest iteration, Monster Hunter World, which was very well received, very popular. Um, It has iconic visuals, it has fantastic monster design, it looks fantastic, and it makes 100% sense why somebody wants to profit off of this, like, energy and this hype, because that's what you do. And, like, it makes perfect sense that, like, this is a very visual type thing that would translate well into a movie. What makes slightly less sense is how they're deciding to profit off of this. So, the source material just sort of takes place in this low fantasy setting. You're a hunter. That's it. There is no further explanation. Um, the movie has a twist where a United Nations military unit led by Mila Djokovic from our world gets teleported to the world of Monster Hunter, and they have to adapt. And I really don't understand why Hollywood execs felt the need to inject this particular franchise with military propaganda, 
that that's just where we are right now. And and the thing is, is that the monsters in the trailer look fantastic. The CGI on the Raphalos looks absolutely stellar. Tony Jaw's hunter outfit and gear looks straight out of the game. But this fundamental change of the story to a functional Asekai, where Mila Djokovic is a fish out of water who has to learn how to use dual swords over military guns, is kind of a weird move in like the abstract and the specific. And then out of sight of that context, right? We have to remember that video game movies on average have not been great. And like the only two that I could think of when asked that were like fun to watch were Detective Pikachu and Sonic the Hedgehog, both of these relatively new coming out last year, both aimed for children, and the latter movie I have mixed feelings about considering that the animation studio that made the movie a success went bankrupt because the higher-up execs made bad decisions beforehand, forced them to work on that, and then forced them to essentially make the film again. And it was profitable enough to warrant a sequel, but not profitable enough to save the artist's jobs who made it. So, like, that's a thing that happens. And by that same nature, though, people watch video game movies. And, like, Djokovic is no stranger to video game adaptations, having starred in... Paul W.S.'s Anderson's Resident Evil series for... I had to look this up because it's an absolutely bonkers number. Six movies over 15 years. And that type of track record does speak to some sort of staying power that I don't personally understand, but, like, somebody watched these things, and they watched them enough to make six of them over 15 years. Um... And just to add, like, the cherry on top of, like, this perfectly weird cocktail of, like, weird things that has happened, um, Eurogamer, uh, reported that Mila Djokovic's character has a flirtatious relationship with the palical named Chef, because, sure, why not have a woman flirt with a cat humanoid in this movie about Monster Hunters, because, because that makes sense. So, uh, that, I've been thinking about that. I haven't wanted to think about that, but like that—that's been there. That—that's been in my head since since the week started. So, yeah. Um, I—I <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I feel like I agree with you on most of your points. I—I I feel like the decision to make Monster Hunter into a movie was one hundred percent capitalism. Like. It's not there's not there's not a plot there, right? And and that means that you then have to create a plot. Um and I feel like the decision to create this weird military dual world plot was because someone was like, I bet if we make a female character we can get Mila Jovovich you down and they're like yeah sure she sells lots of movies and they're like okay gonna do this um i guess we can be happy that they're not going the cats route with the humanoid cats that's good <laughs> um Mm-hmm. I I feel like it's going to do what they want it to do. I feel like the two big names, I mean, Tony Jaa, anything I'm probably going to watch. 
And I and I feel like that's what they're banking on, and it's probably going to work, right? People are going to see, oh, video game movie. If they know Monster Hunter, they're going to be even more excited, and then they're going to see Tony Jaa and Mila Jovovich, and they're going to be like, yes, I will watch this thing, uh, regardless of how actually good the writing is. Um, and I feel like there's there's something to be said for that, you know? Like, sometimes movies can just be fun and have terrible scripts. Like, that's fine. I, I agree about the... I, I feel like maybe the coming from our military into this fantasy world, I don't get to have guns, gotta learn dual sword wielding, which I should say, as, as a former Marine, is not a thing that you just, like, pick up. Like, this is not, this is not something that you're just like, oh, I can do this now, let's go hunt monsters. But that's fine. But I feel like that also maybe explains the Palico flirtation, like, kind of a when in Rome thing. Like, I'm here, I'm doing this. <laughs> Why not? You know? So maybe they're all interconnected. I, I wouldn't be surprised if they are. Um, speaking of ridiculous scripts and Tony Jaa, uh, he also had another movie trailer come up and I, I had forgotten about it. But now that you mentioned that like you would see Tony Jaa in anything... Um, he's also going to be in Master of Jiu-Jitsu alongside oh. Nicolas Cage, where uh, Nicolas Cage plays... I can't even describe his character. He He's just a madman who's talking about an alien that comes over from a different dimension and wants to fight the Jiu-Jitsu masters. And Tony Jaa is one of the new Jiu-Jitsu masters, and now they have to defeat an alien. So it's Predator, except with Nicolas Cage... Tony Jaw, and then martial arts instead that of kind guns. of sounds like a pitch for a Rick and Morty episode. <laughs> yes, um, but it does also now I'm having to rethink things because I think that Nicolas Cage might cancel out Tony Jaw. I'm not sure, but <laughs> it's yeah, it's close for sure. We'll see. More science is necessary to figure oh, out yeah, the Nicolas Cage, Tony Jaa calculations. It's a complicated one for sure. Uh, wow. <laughs> but again, something to be said for cult classics. Um, we'll see if they actually yeah. come out this year. Who knows? <laughs> who knows? Oh, movies. I, I hope the people who watch them enjoy them, and I, I honestly do. Because, like, movies, above all, should be fun, and if you have fun at it, go for it. Not gonna stop you. Can't say I will watch it. <laughs> I'm also wondering now if there's going to be, like, a whole subgenre of, like, pandemic movies that are, like, specifically good and successful in that they were released in a pandemic where everybody was super low. <laughs> we already saw the pandemic documentary series happen with the Tiger King, yeah. and the takeaway that execs had was we should make more Tiger King content and not everyone was in a pandemic and we thought that it was just going to be this one weekend. So we all did this together, and now we're getting we're getting Nicolas Cage as the Tiger King and Kate McKinnon as Carol Baskin, and it's... That was not the takeaway from, from what the, the contextual events. 
anyway. That will be that will be a fun thing of like how film historians teach media in the time of COVID. It's gonna be an entire class. It's just gonna like, oh, yeah. take take up an entire year and it's gonna have multiple sections, each focusing on like a particular month. It's gonna be Yes. It's gonna be great. Well, speaking of media, a different kind of media and something that we don't always talk about on the podcast, we're going comic books this week in multiple ways, actually. I want to talk about Abbott 1973. I have not read the first miniseries that came out earlier this year, but I remember seeing it and thinking, I need to read that, which means I still need to read it. But it looks amazing, and there are several reasons. So first off, the titular character, Elena Abbott, is a black bisexual detective in a world where, like, magic and the supernatural is a thing. So already, I'm good. Like, we're good. I got this. It is also semi-noir. Um, I'm not really sure how... What period you have to be to be considered noir or if you can just like pick any period before the 2000s and put it in sepia and then it's noir I'm not (laughs) sure but it does have that kind of vibe and that it is very much a period piece which again is kind of a cool thing for comics and on top of that the creative team is Saladin Ahmed and Sami Kavele which is amazing. Um, So you might know Saladin Ahmed from Miles Morales' Spider-Man. He's the writer on that. Um, And uh, Sami Kavele has done many things, um, including Machine Gun Wizards, which just sounds fun. Um, And scrolling through their page of art, It's the kind of art that makes you want to read the comic book, which is incredibly important. Obviously, writing is really important for comic books, but the art is, they're equal, they're even, and I think that having an artist that when you see a picture, you're like, whoa, I need to pick that issue up, that's amazing, and that's how I feel about Abbott. Um, So, a couple of things. The first miniseries, as I said, already came out, so you can get it wherever you get comics. It's a five-issue miniseries run, and they're doing another five-issue run that will be released beginning in January of 2021, specifically set in 1973, as the title suggests, which is an election year in this version of Detroit, which is where the comic book is set. Um, And Detroit is looking to get its first black mayor. So there are supernatural threats happening, but there's also corrupt politicians because of course politicians are corrupt. And our main character, Elena Abbott, is kind of in the middle of all of this and has to see where she stacks up with her magic and her detective skills and all of those things, and I'm super excited. Um, There's a few advanced pictures, including the covers and the variant covers, which are from Taj Tenfold, Jenny Frisson, and Raoul Allen. They're gorgeous. They're amazing. If they don't make you want to read this comic, I don't know what will. But yeah, I'm excited, and 
it should work out perfectly that I can read the last miniseries just in time for the new miniseries to come out. So it looks great. Abba's also been on my radar for a while. I just also have a a piling list. Oh, for sure. A literal pile of comics. And I'm scared to add things (laughs) to it. Um, I also, like, need to go to my local comic book shop and, like, get the comics in my poll because, like, I still want to support my shop during a plague. Um, But Abbott looks great, and Ahmed is one of, like, one of the strongest writers, I feel like, that I've I've come into, like, over, like, the last couple years. And I started reading him after I saw that his... His Black Bolt miniseries got an Eisner back in, like, 2018. That sounds right. Um, And I adored it. And I had never knew anything about Black Bolt before reading the series. And I I mostly did because, like, it won an Eisner. Like, you have to to try. And, like, he's been great. I love following him on Twitter. He has a lot of exciting projects in the pipeline. So, like, seeing him take on the sequel to... A great title from by by any metrics that I've seen. It's like really exciting, and yeah, props to Boom for like putting this stuff out. And Boom Boom's been solid. I've, I've really enjoyed their catalog this this past year. They've produced some of my favorite titles. They did a great adaptation of uh, Slaughterhouse Five as a graphic novel this year, and yeah, I'm just I'm really happy with the the lineup. And I I wish I had more time to just sit down and read comics and like i could make time but there's so much to do and time is fake but i'm also running out of it it makes no sense i agree and i am glad that you brought up twitter because you are right ahmed's twitter game is strong it is strong so yeah but with that let's take a short break and come back with our big ticket item Yeah, we get to to pivot to more comic book news now because every year, every single comic book universe has to reckon with some sort of cataclysmic event that threatens to overtake the entirety of the multiverse. And then every year we get to see that unfold and then we get to see what happens in the aftermath. It's almost a tradition. And 2020 is no different just in that singular respect that comic book universes are raveling and unraveling. So um, DC Comics announced a whole new slate of titles for 2021 called DC Future State. And I've been saying DC Future Slate in my head repeatedly. So again, this is the DC Future State. And it's a two-month event told in a combination of oversized anthologies, miniseries, and one-shots, which is just really cool that they're having a, a mix of links there. And you have this stellar array of writers and artists that are on hand to deliver this uh, new iterations of these characters. You got Mariko Tamaki, Brian Michael Bendis, Jean Luen Yang, Joelle Jones, Joshua Williamson, Nicola Scott, Cully Hammer, and John Timms. And those are sort of like established, like we've, we have a lot of their comics out in circulation right now. They are a known quantity. They're all fantastic. Uh, Love Yang's run on uh, the uh, Terrifics and his Superman Smashes the Clan. Uh, Jones's Catwoman has been absolutely uh, stellar to follow along with. 
But they also have a whole bunch of, like, new uh, writers coming into the fray for, like, the first comic book debut. So you have John Ridley, uh, Brian Betty, Megan Fitzmartin, Brian Easton, Aletha Martinez, L.O. McKinney, who is doing the Nubia real one, which we talked about in a prior episode, so that's really exciting. Paula Sevenbergen and Sia Ohm. So this is a great lineup just from like the writing perspective and all of the art associated with these also looks fantastic. But the DC Future State is giving us a new Bat family because Bruce Wayne is dead and somebody has to fill the mantle. Uh, John Kent is finally taking over the mantle of Superman proper. Um, and then in the Amazon rainforest, Yara Floor is chosen to be the new Wonder Woman after what I'm assuming is just a series of strange events that happened. And there's going to be a new Justice League and a new Justice League doc that sort of emerges from the aftermath of the DC Metal event going on right now. Um, there are a bunch of titles and overlapping narratives and like I would look at the DC Comics press release if you're like interested in these because there's just a lot of them. But everything looks fantastic, and the talent sort of speaks from themselves. And superheroes, for better or for worse, live in brief on the concept of legacy, right? And the passage of time in the real world contextually affects the character in their pseudo-timelessness. And it makes sense that characters have to change and evolve over time, even if they're sort of like stuck in the timelessness of the page. And it's cool seeing a new Brazilian Wonder Woman, and it's cool that John Kent finally gets to become Superman after being Superboy, even if I personally wish he had stayed Superboy for just a couple more arcs instead of getting aged up. And a new Batman is probably long overdue at this point. I don't know anymore. And on the flip side of that, right, like, there is baggage in carrying a name forward. There is baggage of, like, handing these characters off to... to to a different person and there's going to be like pushback there's going to be backlash and like that's fine that's a thing that happens every time that change happens because we don't deal well with change and like i think i think dc right now hasn't had the best track record with its like teen superheroes so like i'm thinking about sort of like they're introducing a bunch of like younger versions of these characters so like that's that's a not a concern, but like something that I'm curious to see how the handle going forward. But as a whole, Future State looks intriguing, and I'm I'm excited for it as a DC fanboy till the bitter bitter end. Um, definitely excited for the longer form anthologies, and yeah, because you can only fit so much into a single issue. So it's nice seeing DC giving the creators uh, plenty of room to work with. And I'm, I'm curious to see how the model of publishing is going to change considering how much the publishing world is affected right now because of the pandemic and lots of other things that have happened that were just sort of like brought to a head. And as a related tangent, since we're on the topic of like heroes um, that are getting like some spit shine to them... Um, the Hollywood Reporter also dropped an exclusive this week stating that Michael B. Jordan is set to produce a Static Shock film, which almost every single DC fan that I know has desperately asked for for a very long time. And given that the most recent incarnation in Young Justice didn't have that much to do because he was just lost in the ensemble, I'm really hoping this film does give him justice and sort of catapult Static into the forefront of this conversation because like, 
Static deserves to be a big name in the DC pantheon. Static means a lot to so many people and is such an iconic character that DC has not like put at the forefront. And I, I feel like that is just one of the most grievous errors. And it's just like, put Static in everything. Put him everywhere. More Static, please. He's such a great hero. And I just, I wish, I wish they would just... Like this movie is a great first step, but I want I want I want his comic faster. I want I want his animated series back. I want YouTube video. I want everything. I want everything. But love DC Comics always will always will be there. So future stays exciting. Static Shock's exciting. I'm so tired of 2020, but 2021 looks like it has some some things to look forward to still. Yeah. So I kind of come at this from a different. Uh, perspective and that I am not a DC girl. Um, I'm not not a DC girl. Uh, it just hasn't ever been my thing. If I have to pick between one of the big two, I usually go Marvel. Um, and honestly, the older I've gotten, the more I stay away from either DC or Marvel. And I think that one of the reasons and one of the things that I noticed when you were talking about it is you were talking about Batman and you said something like, I don't even know anymore. And I think that's part of the reason why I tend to stay away from the big two and stick more with indie comics is because we don't have a lot of time, right? And so the idea of following an entire arc of a character and like having enough knowledge to really really understand what's going on like seems intimidating sometimes and that's something that I think this whole idea of future state is going to be really good for it seems like a really good kind of onboarding point for a lot of people maybe people who have lost touch with it throughout the years maybe people who have never been in the kind of DC universe before or they've been in through the movies and the TV series but they haven't been in the comics before so i think that this this whole idea and this idea of like it's 2 months like you can do 2 months right i think that will be really cool to get people involved in these stories again, especially when a lot of them are turning over a new leaf. I'm really excited about the new um, creatives that they're bringing in, writers and artists and things like that, especially L.L. McKinney. I was super excited for Nubia, the real one, um, because it does have that kind of indie feel. It's not that kind of like tried and true like stamp of DC and so I'm really excited for that of course Static Shock like we you're right we've been waiting we've been waiting I grew up on the animated series I'm super excited I'm super excited that they went with Michael B. Jordan as a producer we'll see what happens with the casting but having a blurred, let's be honest, like not just a black man, but a black nerd on the production team gives me great hope for where this is going to go. Last week we talked about the Green Lantern series, which is also in this kind of DC universe. 
so yeah, I agree. I think DC is looking to do big things in 2021, which is good because they've had some issues. <laughs> so we'll see. Hopefully, hopefully it is it is able to follow through on this exciting kind of venture. And that wraps up our main segments for today's episode. So as is tradition here at This Week in Nerd News, we're going to wrap things up with all lightning round because so much happens in a week. Somehow, still, time is still completely fake. So here are just some like nice little headlines that we think you might appreciate as you go throughout your week. So not only can you pet the cat in the upcoming PlayStation 5 lunch title, Spider-Man Miles Morales, the cat can assist you in finishing off bad guys in style. It will come out of the backpack and swat at enemies to help finish them. This is fantastic. I'm so excited. The last time we saw Evangelion 3.0 was back in 2012, and anime fans have been waiting for Evangelion 3.0 plus 1.0 thrice upon a time since then. And originally slated for 2015, various production hiccups and the pandemic have delayed it. But Crunchyroll has announced that we can expect the conclusion to the reimagining of the series on January 23rd, 2021. Disney Plus posted the single greatest movie poster I've ever seen on Twitter, announcing the Lego Star Wars Holiday Special coming out on November 17th. And no spoilers, but I gotta give them a hand that it is iconic and you should seek it out if you haven't already. Victoria shaking her head at me because she knows. <laughs> and finally, in completely selfish glee, I will take up this last most important bullet point to announce that Destiny 2's next raid is scheduled to take place on November 21st, 11 days after the launch of Beyond Light, which means that I'm going to be spending 11 days playing nonstop constantly until ocular bleeding occurs. It is truly a wonderful time to be a guardian. I'm so excited. I've been waiting so long. Anyways, if you'd like to hear our thoughts on these topics or anything else in nerd news, feel free to tweet us at BlackNerdProblems with the hashtag TWINN. That was this week in nerd news. Tune in next week for more pop culture. I am Mikkel Snyder. And I'm Victoria Bertine. Please remember to like, comment, and subscribe anywhere you listen to podcasts. We'll catch you next week.